Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are such a faithful God who is so worthy of our lives, our worship, our surrender, just everything about us. And yet, Father, we are people that are... Uh, We have so many of our own struggles and desires and things that just tear at us internally and relationally. Father, I pray that you would again open our eyes to see Jesus this morning in a way that heals us and uh, changes us and um, just really honors you. Pray that you bless this time and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in John 17 this morning, the last um, sermon in this series on Jesus' praise. And Jesus praying to his Father in John 17. And in a little bit we're going to start in verse 20. That's where we're going to start this morning. On the night of March 2nd, 1991, Rodney King and two passengers were driving in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles. Prior to driving, the three men had spent the night watching basketball and drinking at a friend's house. Well, after being tested five hours Later, uh, Rodney King's blood alcohol level was found to be um, what five hours previously would be two and a half times over the legal limit in, in California. At 12.30 a.m., uh, husband and wife state, uh, state patrol team, California Highway Patrol, spotted his car speeding and swerving a, a chase chase. Um, commenced at over 117 miles an hour. It ended up on um, pedestrian streets with speeds up to 80 miles an hour until they were finally pulled over. When he was finally cornered, though, Rodney King was brutally beaten by Los Angeles State Police. And it just so happened that a bystander, George Holliday, videotaped most of the event. The footage showed LAPD officers repeatedly hitting him, um, and the footage was eventually shown all around the world. It became one of the most publicized, probably in ever most publicized cases of police brutality. Um, caused tensions between the black community and the LAPD. Well, it went to trial, and the four Los Angeles Police Department officers were acquitted. Even President George Bush at the time, this would have been the, the father, viewed from outside, this is a quote from him, he said, viewed from outside 
the trial, it was hard to understand how the verdict could possibly square with the video. Those civil rights leaders with whom I met were stunned, and so was I, and so was Barbara, and so were my kids. Well, the news of the acquittal triggered the Los Angeles riots of 1992. Didn't know you were going to get a history lesson this morning, did you? And by the time the police and the U.S. Army and the Marines and the National Guard restored order, there were 53 deaths, 2,383 injuries, more than 7,000 fires, damages to 3,100 businesses, and nearly $1 billion in loss. Well, on the third day of the riots, May 1st, 1992, Rodney King appeared before the public and said these words, which are now very famous words. And this is what we're getting to with the sermon. People, I just want to say, you know, can we all get along? Can we get along? Can we stop making it, making it horrible for the older people and the kids? It's just not right. It's just not right. It's not, it's not going to change anything. We'll, we'll get our justice. They won the battle, but they haven't won the war. Please, we can get along here. We all can get along. I mean, we're all stuck here for a while. Let's try to work it out. Let's try to beat it. Let's try to beat it. Let's try to work it out. Can't we just all get along? Well, obviously not. I did a little uh, Wikipedia search and found out that between 2003 and 2010, there were 46 recorded wars initiated between that time period around the world. 46 major wars. To bring a little bit closer to home, according to the World Christian Encyclopedia, there are over 33,000 Protestant denominations in the world. Having increased in number from 8,196 in 1970, meaning since 1970, and 40 years, we have increased the Protestant denominations by almost 25,000. Every year, there is a net increase of around 270 to 300 new Protestant denominations every year. Would you say we have a hard time getting along? Well, unity is a popular thing to talk about, right? Even in Kitsap County, um, it was about a month ago that Daniel and Cindy and I went to a, an event at the President's Hall called the Salad Bowl. Any of you heard of that? The Salad Bowl? It's called the Salad Bowl, uh, put on by one of the local African-American churches. And the idea of the salad bowl is, you know, salad has cucumbers, tomatoes, lettuce, 
all that stuff. And so it's this mixture of all kinds of things put together to make this wonderful food that we eat. So it was about a month ago that, that we attended the salad bowl in support of our, our fellow African-American pastors. And yet, one of the things that struck me about the salad bowl and its appeal for unity was how graphically it demonstrated how little unity there is. Of, of about 300, and that might be a generous figure, people that were there, I would say 95% at least were African Americans. Most evangelical churches, Bible churches, weren't represented, and I'm sure it's because of one of the two featured speakers that were there, just drove away all the Bible churches from being there. The other featured speaker, a local pastor whose church numbers over 2,000, despite his eloquent and passionate words about unity, appealing for unity, obviously didn't really support unity because there was no evidence of any of his 2,000 plus people being there. Not amazing? Because he pastors a white church. And there weren't any whites there hardly. Unity. It's hard to get along. It's hard to get along with each other, isn't it? <laughs> to bring it a little bit closer to home. I wonder how many of us this last week had a problem with somebody. <laughs> um, maybe our spouse. So if you did, listen up. This is, this is real. I'm not just talking about world wars here or... Kitsap County Unity, but what is it that keeps us from getting along with each other? Um, within churches, there's so much often talk that goes on about each other, and you know, and then among with one another in our families, in our in our marriages, in our friendships. Why is it so hard for us to get along? And what does it take? What is it going to take for us to get along? How can we get along? Well, as we come to John 17 here, in the end of Jesus' prayer, we, uh, we come to this topic, unity, and it's how Jesus concludes this prayer as he, as he prays. He says that they will all be one. That's what we're going to, as we begin reading, that's, that's what he prays. But as we read and as we talk through this, and I want you to excuse, be asking yourself, so what does Jesus mean by this? That they'd all be one. Because normally what it ends up, it ends up to be just these generic appeals. Oh, we just all need to get along. And it sounds so good, but it becomes so impossible. Getting along. What does Jesus mean? How can unity really happen and, and why is it so important anyway? So, that perks your interest. Let's read John 17, verses 20 through 26, if you'd follow along as I read. John 17, verse 20. 
I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So that's us, folks. <laughs> if we're here this morning and we believe in the message of Jesus, it's us he's praying for, okay? I pray, verse 21, that they will all be one. Just as you, Father, and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. That's a powerful phrase right there. Wow. Jesus praying to the Father that his Father loves us as much as he loved his Son, Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Father, verse 24. I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. As we, as we come to John 17 and Christ's perspective on unity, I'd like to just try to summarize simply what we find here. And it may surprise you because I think the essence of what it's teaching here about unity is that unity isn't the point. Unity isn't the point. Unity is a byproduct leading to a greater purpose. Unity is a byproduct leading to a greater purpose. And this is, in case you're going to fall asleep, this is the essence right here, okay? We will experience true unity when we together understand our identity in Christ and live for God's glory. I think that's what it's teaching. Unity is a byproduct of intimacy with Christ. With lives in our, that are lived for God's glory. So if we want to live in unity, we've got to pursue intimacy with Christ and be passionate about God's glory. That's the essence of it. Unity isn't the point. It's intimacy with Christ and a passion for God's glory. And if we have those things together, we will be living in unity. John 17. So first, we're going to look at those three things just briefly. Notice... It's experiencing true unity that they will all be one. And this is the phrase I like, just as 
You and I are one. That's Jesus talking to his Father. Do you get that? Jesus' prayer for us is that our oneness would be just as the Father and the Son's oneness is. It's phenomenal. There are lots of ways to be unified, right? For those of you that um, are sports crazies, what's going on right now? The Huskies are playing today, yeah. But the final four is happening right now, right? The, the push to the final four. Okay, Beth, thank you. You're, you're in the... <laughs> right. Uh, Butler is on their way to the final four again. They upset number one seeded Pittsburgh last night in the last 0.8 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> My wife says, I never watch the game, okay? I read the news. That's, <laughs> my wife says, I know everything because I read the news, okay? Yeah, I don't watch it. I read it on Google. <laughs> but what is it, what is it going to take for a team to make it to the Final Four and eventually be, be the national championship? It's going to take unit. It's going to take teamwork, right? It's going to take five guys or... Ten guys, you put them all together, that together are working together for a, for a purpose, for a national championship. There's all kinds of things that can bring us together, a common cause. I'm on a, uh, the Kitsap Continuum of Care Coalition. Sounds like a very caring group of people, doesn't it? <laughs> what brings us together? Not donuts, yeah, it's a good guess, but not donuts, yeah. <laughs> what, what brings us together is homelessness. Not that we're homeless, but a concern about homelessness. And so with a couple of do dozen different organizations, I get together and I do lots with them. Our organization, Hope in Christ Ministries of Coffee Oasis, in order to together try to eventually eliminate homelessness. That's our cause that we're involved in together that unifies us. And we're very different people. <laughs> but eliminating homelessness brings us together. A common cause, a, a common foe, right? What's happening in the world right now? Libya, right. Is bringing together a host of different nations that are very different around a common purpose. You could call it a, the purpose to protect humans. It might be really a common foe that we're trying to eliminate. You never know these things. A common cause, a common purpose. But what Jesus is praying for here is so much higher than that. Because, see, these coalitions, they can fall apart. <laughs> you know? International, you know coalitions can fall apart, county coalitions can fall apart, because it's amazing how quickly these common causes and purposes that bring us together, they, they can dissipate because of differences, right? But Jesus is calling us to something so much higher, so much greater. The same unity, and I, I, I like the word intimacy, 
that he and the Father have together, he's calling us to have that together. That's what he's calling us to. A bond, a unity that nothing can break. The highest calling that any of us could be called to have together. That what exists between the Father and the Son would then exist together among us. Wow. How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, it happens by the first of the two things we're going to look back quickly. The first is the foundation of true unity is understanding our identity. Got that? The foundation of experiencing true unity, true intimacy with God and with one another is understanding our identity. Look at, look at the verses, there, verse 21. Jesus says, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. And I want you to count the number of... The, it says, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Verse 23 I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. You get the repetition of that little word there? In. That's the heart of the truth that Jesus is teaching here, the foundation of unity. It's that word. Are, are you convinced this morning that you are in Christ? In Christ. You are His. You belong to Him. He's your identity. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You're not your own. You're His. Is that your identity this morning? Just as the Father and Son are in relationship with one another, so they bring us into relationship with them. So their unity becomes our unity. Their intimacy becomes our intimacy. And it's that common identity that should draw us into unity. Christ. Christ. Not basketball. I'm sorry. Sorry, Beth. Yeah. Not basketball. Not basket weaving. You know, I mean, there's all... <laughs> but, this is the play on words, but there were all basket cases together. And made it in. <laughs> in need of Jesus. Really, I mean, it sounds cheesy. It really was. But it's the truth. That's what should draw us together. That together we're needy people in need of Jesus and he's what binds us together. And man, I tell you, that just rips apart things that disagree and destroy unity. In James chapter 4, verse 1, James says, what's the cause of quarreling and conflicts among you? It's your desires, your evil desires. They just wage war among your members. And, and, and that's what it is. You know, I mean, there's so many things. I mean, why is it that I can't get along with you? Because I can't forgive you. 
But if I understand who I am in Christ and his forgiveness of me, then I'm going to be able to forgive you. If I understand God's grace and his goodness and his kindness and his mercy and his grace and his patience to me, then I can be good and gracious and kind and patient with you. It's understanding our identity that who we are in Christ, what he's done for us, it's what dispels disunity and makes us intimate and able to be in unity with one another. But we still have a problem, I think. Because we can disagree about Jesus then, right? <laughs> I mean, remember, we got 33,000 different Protestant denominations. So supposedly we all believe in Jesus. He died. He rose. We're his. And yet we don't get along. Why is that? I think it's because we forget the point of Jesus praying about unity. We might get our doctrine right, okay? Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose three days later. But we get sidetracked about other things, secondary things, things that become the focus of why we end up functioning then. we got to do things this way, and we can't do things that way, and so we divide. Oh, yeah, we love Jesus together, but I can't get along with you because we do things different. We forget the focus of unity. And that's the second thing that Jesus prays about. Did you notice why Jesus was praying for unity? Let's go back to verse 21, if you would. Jesus says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. There's a point to unity. Unity isn't the point. The point of unity is that people would see our intimacy with Jesus that draws us together and then opens the eyes of others and say, that's Jesus. I want to know about him, this man that makes a difference. Keep reading. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are, in, as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. That's the point. We forget the point. <laughs> And do you notice it's a, a unity that's about God's glory? Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Drop down to verse 20, um, excuse me, 24. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am, and then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. As we come to the end of this prayer, it's interesting. You know, remember how Jesus started his prayer? Go back to verse, go back to verse 1, John 17. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to the heavens and he said, Father, the hour has come. 
glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. That's how Jesus begins his prayer. And now it's how he ends his prayer because it's the point of our existence. God's glory. And it's the point of unity. And I think it's one of the reasons we so fail in our ability to get along with one another because we forget what the focus of getting along with one another is about. It's for God's glory. It's not just to get along, but it's to get along for a person that God would get greater glory, that God would be pleased, that God would be honored. It's not about us. It's about him. So just to summarize really quickly, where do we begin in pursuing unity? If you're having a hard time, and I know that some of you have had a hard time getting along with someone this week. Where do you begin? Where do you re-begin? Two things. You begin with saying, I've got to get to know Christ again and who I am in him. Because, see, you're focused on someone else and their failures and how they offended you and, and how they didn't do what they should have done instead of focusing on Christ and what he's done for you. And, and if we understand that, I tell you, it's not going to matter a hill of beans what somebody else has done to you. Because Christ has done so much greater for us, hasn't he? Understanding our identity. We've got to begin there. And then remember that the point and the focus is living for his glory. It's not about our reputation. It's not about our offense or what, you know, it's, it's about his glory. One of, the, one of the most profound phrases I remember from all the reading I've done, I've done, you know, a lot of reading. You've got to do a lot of reading if you spend as much time in school as I have. <laughs> I read a two-volume biography on Charles Spurgeon, just a wonderful, wonderful man of God, preacher in England years ago. And uh, he was known all over the world, powerful preacher. And it's like he lost it all. Um, preaching in a, a huge arena and in the middle of his sermon, some temporary bleachers collapsed and some people were trampled, they were killed. and. And for weeks, the press just made a heyday of it, slandered him, and he went into seclusion. He's just like he had a breakdown. He, he, you know, just the people that had been killed and, the, and, and, and God's name being dishonored through all of this. And it was a dark, dark time. For, for weeks, he just went away and until it was like a light all of a sudden, it just came to him. If God be glorified, what does it matter? That's the phrase I remember. I mean, 
If God be glorified, what does it matter? We've got to have that perspective on life. When we're so easily offended and we're so committed to defending, if God is glorified, if God is glorified through my name being slandered, if God is glorified through this difficult time I'm going through, if God, if God is glorified, what does it matter? We won't be divided by or racked by disagreements over unimportant things because of two things. It will all be about Jesus. We have got to be about Jesus, absorbed with Jesus, understanding what he's done for us and, and who we are in him, and that it's all about God's glory. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that's what brings us full circle, like I said, back to the beginning of how Jesus began his prayer. Father, glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Um, just for interest's sake, thinking about unity, I went on YouTube this morning just before I came and I listened to probably the most, uh, again, probably one of the most popular songs ever written and sung about unity and peace. Anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? That's it. John Lennon, Imagine. Glad we thought of the same one. Imagine it as it ends. As he, you know, imagine where we, where all would live as one. I mean, isn't that our desire? I mean, just to get along. It's interesting how his song starts, though. The first phrase of the song says, "Imagine there's no heaven and no hell." And his imagining of a world of peace is where you. Eliminate God because he sees God as a hindrance to unity. Isn't that sad? Because that's the exact opposite of what Jesus is praying. That if we were unified as Jesus prays that we would be unified the point would be, the purpose would be that the world would see and would acknowledge and would accept and would believe in God. And instead, what are we doing? Our disunity, our 33,000 denomination is driving people away from God. That's why I would like us this morning to imagine something else. to imagine what would happen if, if we, just those of us who are here this morning, and spreading out from us, if we as God's people would simply pursue understanding who we are in Jesus, how much he's done for us, what he means to us. 
and pursue God's glory above our glory, above our reputation. Just pursue God's glory and honor in this community. In our relationship, humbling ourselves before our spouses, before our friends, just committed to serving them and being patient and kind with them because God has been so patient with us and for his glory, swallowing our pride and serving others. Pursuing Jesus, pursuing God's glory. Wow, there will be unity. And people will see God, they'll be drawn to him and he will be glorified. And that's Jesus' prayer. Let's pray. Father, Again, I just simply ask that you would open our eyes to see Jesus and, and open our eyes and, and, and to, to ways that we need to just... Father, forget about our own pride. Forget about the things that offend us, the people that bother us. To just fix our eyes on Jesus and look full into his wonderful face so that the things of this world and the things that bother us would just grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace and goodness and our desire, God, that you get glory. In Jesus' name, amen.